Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And once again, Josh Shelton is not here. I don't know how he gets off so much vacation, but I, I need to renegotiate my deal. That's all I'm going to say. So happy new year to everyone. First off, hope you had a wonderful Christmas, new year, all of that wonderful stuff. We've been off for about a month now, so it's good to be back. And riding co-host today is the man, the myth, the Oracle of Midland himself, Ben Samuels. Ben, it's good to have you, buddy. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what uh, what you've negotiated with Josh, but maybe it's, uh, maybe it's like the beginning of the year. You know how a lot of people have like New Year's resolutions to get in the gym, and and they do that for a few days, and then like they forget about it for the rest of the year. Maybe Josh hasn't really like gotten into gear yet. Well, I mean, that's you're presupposing that he ever gets into gear, so that's a little aggressive. I mean, I don't. That, that's that's I would never say that about him. So we do have a few reviews to go over um at the end of last year that came through so uh from randall w martin gents thank you for a great oil and gas podcast i love the dialogue on current events market analysis and policy industry issues for our industry take care randy martin and then from maui jim glad i caught texas oil and gas podcast last episode of 2021 very informative discussion with dr anas alahaji very uncertain times for, with both opportunity and concern in light of many global factors I was not aware of. Thanks, gents. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Hear you in 2022. Um, bringing in Ben today, we're not going to have great analysis. So just so we're clear, like I'm glad that let's we'll make sure that that's set the bar pretty low. Um, thank you for that, though, Jim. We uh, <laughs> really appreciate that. So. Um, I'm, I'm really just a plant to make when Josh does come back to make him look better. Uh, and I'm going to ho- hopefully fill that role today. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't, you know, you can't make Josh look better, but whatever. So Ben, we're here. We have Sergio Chapa coming on in about eight minutes. So before we do, let's get into 2022, man. What are you looking for? You're out in the thick of it in Midland as we sit here today. WTI is at $78, Brent's at 81 What's the scuttlebutt? What are you hearing? What are you looking for in 2022? Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to a really good year. You know, I think that we have we, we, we have a combination of factors, you know, one, running into the midterms and, and some of the uh, political decisions that, that have been made uh, that, you know, there's, yeah, I think we talked about it on either don't let the facts or maybe bring in the closers, but you know, we're, we're sitting at, I think you said like 72, you know, we're in, we're in the seventies, you know, I wouldn't be surprised in, you know, this year to see that rip above a hundred, um, you know, for, for a number, you know, for, for not just a blip. Um, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting because, you know, again, you, you know, you have Europe completely in, in shambles as, uh, you know, as energy policy goes and, and what does that mean for America? You know, are we going to start to take, some of that market share back, um, you know, I know that uh, actually and Sergio may have, I don't know what we're talking to him about specifically um, uh, other than a couple of notes that I've got here, but, you know, he may have some comment on sort of, you know, the comings and goings of those ships. I know that we, we sent a, a ton of uh, LNG over to, you know, I think they're, you're, they're going to land somewhere, but probably end up in Germany at all. Um, and, you know, what does that rebalance look like? Because for the last couple of years or for the last year, I should say, we've really been focused on shutting down production and going the other direction. 
And, and you know, are, are we as a country going to going to turn on the spigot? You know, that, I think that's going to be interesting. Yeah, and you know we have this as you mentioned the midterms, and so we obviously have a Texas Railroad Commissioner uh, race that's coming up. Um, but then we have the larger midterms, and seeing how climate change, ESG, how much of an issue is that going into these these elections? Because obviously you have two phases: you have the primaries, which everyone right's really right, left's really left. Uh, then you have the the races where people are trying to move to the center. I'm curious once we get through the primary season into the the, the general election how those discussions are shaped because the ESG narrative has obviously played a role with the bigger companies and their, um, you know, their joint schedule. And so um, that, another thing is will COVID news impact demand? So last year we saw the Omicron, um, you know, black Friday sell off because of the new variant. Will, do you think we're past that yet? Or do you think we'll see a bunch of more, um, you know, new variant price tanks for a little while? Yeah, you know, I I don't think that we're past the you know the influx of, of these new variants. I don't I don't think that we're past sort of the hysteria and the policymaking that that comes from that. Um, you mentioned the railroad commission. I think that's a great point. You know, I, I'm not sure that most people understand how powerful the railroad commissioner seats are. I mean, I, you know, I think that 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 body, that governing body, is arguably one of the most powerful when it comes to oil and gas on the globe. Um, you know, especially you know certainly in this country. And so, yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting. You know, obviously we uh, we have uh, Wayne, you know, the, the incumbent, you know, vying for a seat. But we also have a couple of, uh, of up and comers, a couple of which, you know, that you and I know, um, you know, personally. And, and so that you know, that's going to be interesting to see what the makeup of that is. Um, do you have a front runner there? Do you uh, do you have a do you have a, a fly that you've planted yet? Um, I'm not endorsing any of them, if that's what you're asking, as far as who I think might win. Um, it's, it's hard. Now we saw Sitton go down and that was interesting. That kind of shocked us all. I think when Sitton, cause the guy that he ran against, that, that beat him wasn't, you know, spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. He just kind of ran a grassroots campaign. So it is possible. Um, with that being said, the, I suspect the old guard will try to keep the old guard in. And so probably a lot more money we poured to keep Wayne in, um, that's, and listen, this is not a commentary on Wayne. If this guy was Bob or Tom or Sherry or Jess, I'm just saying that's how these things work, right? So when the when the incumbents when the incumbent party feels like they might lose a long established member, they usually double down to keep those people in. So I'd, I'd expect that. Um, and so you know, I don't know exactly how the how it would work to go to a runoff here, but I'm guessing Wayne has to get 51 percent to prevent a runoff. I think that's probably likely, right? Because of the of the other three or four that are running that I know of, you know, can they draw 20 to 30% of the vote? I don't know. I don't think so, but we'll, we'll see. Listen, we're going to reach out to them and have them all on. And if they want to come on and talk to them and, uh, and ask them all the, the, the tough, fun questions. That's the only group of people we're, we're not nice to in this podcast is the ones that are running for office because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta ask them the hard questions, right? You can't ask them the softballs. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I don't know. Do you have a favorite or someone that you're endorsing? I don't know. I, I look at it similar to kind of what you you just said. I, I don't have um, certainly not going to be endorsing somebody today. Um, you know, going to let it play out a little bit more. Um, yeah, I think that you, I, open be bought though. Just so we're clear. Yes. Very, yes, very true. Yes. Yeah, um, you can buy my endorsement. No, no, yes. Yeah. Um, no, but I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, I think you know, the, the way that it's the way that it's currently structured, you know, one of the, one of the under, you know, undercards here is going to have to really 
punch up a weight class to, you know, to use uh, some different terminology. Um, you know, and, and you look at some of the, you know, we could go like, you know, person by person, and you look at some of those, um, you either find, you know, either find they're wholly unqualified or really don't have the platform. I think there's a couple of names um, in there that would have a shot at, at that 20, 30% mark that you're talking about. But, uh, but by and large, you know, I, I think the, uh, you know, Wayne's in the cards here pretty heavy. Yeah. Well, and we'll see. Listen, that's not because I have some special affinity. Um, I have some special affinity for, uh, uh, <laughs> for, um, for um, any any of the, the incumbents. So there you, okay, well, Jay, uh, we'll we'll give you that free advertisement there. But next time we're gonna have to we're gonna have to charge you uh, our, our premium fee for that one. So so but, but listen, hey, listen, that's a smooth move by Jay. That's a smooth move. I I, I can respect it. Like it's in the comments. I I can respect it. Uh, but to put it on the screen, it's gonna have to we have to cost charge a little bit more. But it's smooth move. Drop it in the comments there, Jay. Uh, Jay, if you're still listening, um, is Jay running? I don't think so. Okay, is that right? Go ahead and uh, and um, send Ryan and I each like five grand on Venmo, and then put the put the deal link in the in the notes. You can, you can go ahead and just <laughs> we'll, we'll put it in the show notes for you. There we go. There we go. But no, I mean, looks like I respect the uh, respect the game there from Jay. So good, good move. Okay, um, let's see. Sergio should be on here. Time o'clock in about one minute left. So um, I guess the big question that everyone is contemplating is can vendors make money this year? Cause that was a big discussion last year is that some of the vendors um, weren't get, able to get the margins. Do you think that the vendors will be able to get their margins back up and hire the people they need to, to, to do the job in 2022? The short answer, since you said we only have a minute is no. Um, you know, I, I think that we're still in a, in a spot where, you know, the vendors are having to race to the bottom on price. You know, we we've talked at nauseum about the, the labor pool or, or, you know, the, the lack thereof, um, you know, across a couple other podcasts. And, and I think that that is very, you know, still very present, um, especially in places like Midland and, um, and some of the oil patch places. And, and so, no, I very much think that the operators are still in a very advantageous position. You know, if, if they if they're looking to have drilling programs uh, going and, and they're looking for you know the requisite services, service industries there, I think they're in a great position to, to negotiate those contracts um, and, and get much better terms. And, you know, the vendors are going to have to, you know, I, th- I think the challenge here is that, you know, let's say that you are a vendor and in internal of your process, you have to onboard something that's made with steel or something that, you know, some of these other, uh, you know, metals that have, you know, severe supply chain constraints, you know, your end pricing may not move a ton, but your costs may, you know, may have doubled or tripled or, or you, know, you know, move significantly. And I think that that sort of arbitrage, that margin gets eaten away rather than being able to be padded into the price and passed on. No, that's a good point is that you have things that are just more expensive now because things are more expensive for a lot of reasons. Um, even if labor is a little bit cheaper, which I'm not saying that it is, then you, you have that offset cost. The other thing though is, and this is something I've argued for years is that if you're a operator, midstream company, whatever, you should go to your favorite vendors and say, Hey, listen, we're going to lock up, um, you know, the A team. That's your, everybody's got their A team, right? And lock up the A team for uh, multiple years because odds are you can keep the A team busy, keep them, pay them a good margin, make sure those guys stay employed. Um, even if it's only guaranteed for, you know, uh, uh, 75% or 50% or 60%, you know, you know um, work rate um but companies can afford that so go lock up the a teams from these from your vendors um and, and use them 
So that way you don't have to worry about space problems. I'm sure a lot of companies right now would be interested in taking it. I don't know why more companies uh, don't do that because they always complain when they don't, you know, they can't get their, you know, the best guys out there or whatever. It's like, well, you know what? You got to pay for those guys. So, okay. I see Sergio is here in the background. Let's, Sergio, are you ready, buddy? Yep, there he is. Okay. There he is, the man, the myth, Mr. Bloomberg himself, Sergio Chapa, starting off 2022 with the bang. How's it going, buddy? Doing good, man. Doing good. Good to see you all again. How are y'all yeah. doing? Yeah, good. Well, we didn't, you know, we didn't bring Josh on today. We said we got a big time guest. We didn't want Josh to ruin it, so we brought on uh, Ben to handle the the heavy lifting here. So uh, it's been been a while since we have you on, man. So what's been going on? Maybe recap. Um, obviously, you cover. You're at Bloomberg now. You've been on since then, but maybe kind of reset the stage for what all you're covering at Bloomberg for people who uh, you know, haven't followed your work as recently as, as um, that much recently. Well, yeah, over at over at Bloomberg, I've been covering the natural gas, U.S. natural gas markets, and the LNG industry. And let me tell you, there's there's never a dull moment in that space and that little corner of the of the sky for the oil and gas industry. Um, it's been quite a ride. You know, we saw supply disruption, supply and demand disruptions during the pandemic. And then we saw, you know, uh, prices go from record lows to record highs, you know, in a matter of months. And then we were faced with the prospects of a lack of supply for, for winter. Uh, left a lot of people scrambling to, to, to build up their winter storage all across the globe, not just in the United States, but in Europe and Asia. And it's it's caused like a lot of uh, disruptions to, to prices and, and the industry. Yep. Hey, Sergio, you're a little softer. If you can talk a little bit louder, um, this, this, we, we can't hear you that great. Um, so I'm curious, did, just kind of going back when you left the, the Chronicle, go to Bloomberg and you're, you're covering all this stuff. Were, were you a little concerned maybe at some point? Like, hey, this might be a slow sector. Uh, what have you learned by just drilling down on this industry? Some things maybe that you didn't know going in. No, I mean, the, the natural gas, like I said, there's never a, uh, a dull moment in the natural gas industry. Here in the United States, it's largely, prices here are largely dictated by the weather, you know. Um, you know, it's cold in New England, prices go up, you know. It's hot in the summer in Texas. We need more natural gas for power plants. Prices go up, demand and supply, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but there's, there's kind of a new wild card uh, for natural gas, and that's exports. Uh, the United States exports about 6 billion cubic feet of natural gas per day to, to Mexico via pipeline. And then, you know, uh, double that amount heads out to to Europe and Asia, Latin America, all over the world um, via the LNG industry at uh, six export terminals that the United States has. The seventh is just about to open, uh, Calcasieu Pass in Louisiana. Took a drive out there uh, over the over the Christmas holidays and... It's it's coming along nicely. Um, you know they should be producing their first drops any day now, and then we'll see a tanker show up and take out their first cargo for the seventh U.S. LNG export. Okay, well let's talk about um, kind of what's going on with Europe. What role the U.S. is playing in that? Um, it's a lot of confusion about um, you know what what Europe's doing and whatnot. Maybe unpack at a high level what's going on, and then what role uh, the U.S. is playing to to help or trying to help or should be helping with that. Well, sure. Yeah, there's a couple things going on over there in Europe uh, in the natural gas markets. We, like I mentioned earlier, we had the uh, supply and demand disruption from the coronavirus pandemic. Um, you know, you saw de demand decline, and 
and uh, you know, and so you, you saw curtailed shipments via pipeline from Russia, to decline exports via LNG from the United States, and uh, but then suddenly, you know, when the pandemic uh, eased, you saw this dramatic demand increase, and uh, you know, it was sort of a market disruptor because you couldn't get enough natural gas fast enough, and then headed into winter, Europe didn't have enough uh, natural gas in its storage. So that set them set prices higher, and it sent uh, you know a bunch of uh, put a lot of LNG U.S. LNG cargoes on the water and headed to Europe this winter, and uh, it's it's uh, it's it's been a it's been some phenomenal to watch because traditionally U.S. LNG cargoes go to Asia, you know the prices are higher there, but 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 this year um, European prices are higher, and so that has most of the of the uh, U.S. LNG cargoes pointed to Europe. I mean, out of the 80 or so LNG, U.S. LNG cargoes on the water right now, half are headed to Europe right now. And then like uh, maybe a third are headed to Asia. And then the rest are just divided up amongst other kind of smaller destinations. You know, I think it's interesting. Uh, most of Europe has spent the last at least couple of years in earnest trying to deplatform natural gas, move to renewables. They've made it significantly harder to you know, build something new, uh, retrofit something old. They've been shutting down coal and, and nuclear plants uh, just as of the last couple of weeks. It seems like Germany at all may, may have finally realized that, that we, what they're doing and what that actually means. And they've started to put out some messaging, calling natural gas you know, sustainable and a tr transition fuel to be used sort of in the in the you know the transition to a uh, to a renewable climate or renewable uh, um, energy balance. I'm curious what you know what your you know you mentioned there um, you know the pricing for for Europe and and a lot of you know the uh, the the product going that direction. Do you see that trend continuing and, and getting stronger and continuing to send more and more volumes to Europe? Do you, uh, do you sort of see the same? political, you know, landscape that I'm talking about there. And, and so, I mean, where, where do you see us, us moving um, in terms of, the, of that demand curve? I mean, is Europe, I guess maybe the easiest question, Sergio, is, you know, is Europe in as bad of uh, a way that, you know, that it seems uh, that, you know, they're, they're just starved for power and, and they need some, some answers as of yesterday. I'm curious, I'm curious what your stance is. No, no, those are some very good observations, actually. And a lot of uh, CEOs and industry leaders addressed those issues during the World Petroleum Congress here in Houston last month. Um, you know, as, as it turns out, the energy transition, the transition to cleaner sources of fuel um, is, is a little bumpier than, than people expected. Um, you know, of course, nobody has any problems with, with, with you know, solar and wind as power sources. They're, they're great. But when you don't have those batteries, you need more uh, reliable, stable base loads of power. And um, and that's that's been the argument here. Curiously enough, um, you know, you mentioned Germany. They actually don't have any any LNG import terminals, but they do import natural gas via pipeline from Russia. And so there was a whole political controversy, a three-way controversy between the United States, Russia, and Germany over the Nord Stream Two pipeline, which has become hyper political given the events happening in the Ukraine and elsewhere in Europe. Um, the <clears throat> Nord Stream 2 would have been able to, to uh, you know, flood the market with natural gas. But of course, the, the commissioning and the, the, uh, the uh, putting that pipeline into service has been delayed through next year, perhaps as late as September or October, just ahead of, of the, the fall. 
Um, you're, you're definitely right in that I think you'll see uh, Europe being a much more, excuse me, much more active market in the LNG space, taking up more cargoes. I think that I think that the that that the spring and summer of 2022 will be a busy one with Europe trying to rebuild inventories from this winter. Um, normally, that's like a, a a low period of activity, um, you know. For the industry, you know, the U.S. LNG industry typically does their maintenance during that time, and, and uh, you know, the there's a lower activity. But I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know that 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 the U.S. LNG industry will see get that break this summer. So, Sergio, I remember was it 2019, 2020, like a third or something of all the LNG contracts were up. Is there some huge number? Maybe two thirds. Like all these big long term contracts were up. Um, when you look at this energy crunch, energy crisis in Europe, does that reshift some of that, or is this more spot stuff? Does that change some of these plans that were made a few years back? What impact, if any, does that have on those long-term forecasts that we saw? No, no, it's a good question, Ryan. Um, you know, uh, LNG contracting is back after taking a break for a couple of years, and uh, you know, interestingly enough, you would, uh, you know, the biggest buyer right now is actually China. Um, in 2021, the biggest buyer of U.S. LNG is 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 china and uh what we're what we are expecting to see based on what we're, we're seeing in the markets and the way things are playing right now in this in the spot market you'd expect to see more european contracts coming in the pipeline um after china the next biggest uh chunk of lng buyers were uh portfolio players you know traders uh trading companies that that, that sell on the spot market um so it's kind of interesting you know kind of sets up the united states as a as a as a as a global swing producer if you will and uh, we, we've seen that in action this winter uh, there was a cargo that left the united states and it was headed to asia it was right by hawaii when it turned around went back through the panama canal and started heading back to europe so you've got to imagine you know it, they wouldn't do that if they weren't going to make money off that play or imagine the expense per day paying that that cash and crew and then um, having everybody turn around and, you know, take another 45 days or whatever it takes to get back to Europe and then pay the tolls in the uh, Panama Canal twice. That's something like, I don't know, like $350,000 or something like that. Like, I call that Ryan Ray couch cushion money. money. Oh, yeah, that's, no, 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 buddy. That, that, that's, that's couch cushion money at, at, the, at the Ryan Ray household, I think, you know. So yeah, and so you mentioned so, so there's a lot of money being thrown around. You know, go to China. Obviously, you talk about Europe um, shift there. Um, how does that impact the U.S. domestic producer? You know, and then maybe the Appalachian, maybe the Haynesville, where I'm at, the Barnett. Which you know, we used to have a guy that covered the Barnett shell, but not anymore. Um, you know, will that help revitalize these really dry gas plays, or is it still going to be you know in the Permian where you get like a seventy thirty or a sixty forty type well? Well, you know, I'm actually glad you bought up our, our, our favorite Texas shell play, the Barnett shell. Did you know, Ryan, I, 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 did, I meant to text you the other day, but there was something on the scale of 21 drilling permits for horizontal wells filed in the Barnett shale in December alone. Wow. I mean, yeah, we're back, the, baby. Barnett, the Barnett shale will rise again. Barnett's back. We're riding again. <laughs> you know, we used to celebrate the, the one rig boom. We got a yeah. 20, 20 permit boom. Let's go. We're ready. Yeah. Well, it's a uh, 21 permit split between three companies. Um, maybe we'll see three. We'll call it 100 rigs. Yeah. Let's call it 100 rigs. Right up to 100. Right. But, you know, all, all kidding aside, um, you're absolutely right. Um, you know, um, 
I, I think that, that, that what, based on the data we've seen that the Appalachian, um, you know, shale play, the Marcellus is, is kind of capped out, constrained by pipeline capacity. Um, you'll just see like, uh, I think kind of a flat rig count there, a flat production. You know, if you can't get gas out to market, you can't add more rigs and you can't grow production. Um, you know, maybe with the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the Mountain Valley Pipeline in, in Virginia and West Virginia, maybe we'll get some incremental growth out of that in the second half of 2022. But, you know, that remains to be seen. Otherwise, you have a pure gas play in the Haynesville Shale, you know, un, unrestrained uh, by these, these concerns about pipelines and also very close to LNG export terminals. So I think you'll see it there. But more interestingly, Ryan, I think where, where you're going to see it is, is in the, where see things play out is in the Permian Basin with, with oil prices so high. Um, they're going to be drilling uh, for oil, but, you know, what, what's the byproduct of oil out in the Permian Basin? It's natural gas. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you mentioned some of the logistical constraints. Um, you know, in the Permian, there's massive logistical constraints about or uh, regarding taking the natural gas and putting it in a pipeline. Um, you know, we had, excuse me, we had the uh, Keystone XL project, obviously, uh, seemingly officially couched or at least parked to the side. Um, what, are there any other projects that are that are greenlit or in production on the pipeline side to alleviate some of those? Are, are there are there major projects going on that maybe aren't getting as much publicity that are uh, going to help you know get some of that dry gas from the Marcellus at all to market, or is that just going to be? I mean, are, are we are we facing those issues and and don't really have any current solutions you know in contemplation yet? No, uh, no, that's a really good question. Um, so the thing is about about you know the Marcellus. I think I think this mountain valley pipeline going from you know the Marcellus out to the mid Atlantic states. That's that's the last project. All the other ones have been have been uh, opposed and or face opposition or have you know announced closure. Um, you know, and, and and separately in the in the. I mean, and I, I don't know of any other plans in there. Um, if, if somebody wants to correct me, please, please let me know on that. Um, but the thing is, more interestingly, in the Permian Basin, where you see that associated gas, um, you know, you, you've seen these pipelines built out. You saw the uh, Permian Highway base, the Permian Highway Pipeline by, by Kinder Morgan built out and put in service, Whistler Pipeline put into service. So there aren't per se any, any pipeline projects out of the, other than gathering in the Permian right now. Um, Kinder Morgan, as you may recall, you know, had a, had a project called the Permian Pass Pipeline, the PPP. And uh, I think you may see some movement on that. Uh, probably behind the scenes, there's contracting happening and whatnot. Um, a lot of analysts and experts think that the, that the uh, Permian will need that, that major gas pipeline to take away all some of that associated gas from the basin. Okay. I know, Sergio, we're up against the clock here. Um... Where do you want people to go? Twitter, LinkedIn, obviously Bloomberg. You want to buy two or three terminals? How, what, what's, what's the deal here? Yeah, no, just follow the fun on, on Twitter and, and LinkedIn. That, that'll, that'll get you where you go. And, uh, you know, I, I think uh, in the meantime, I'll be waiting to break the news about a Texas oil and gas podcast cryptocurrency coming soon. <laughs> Yeah, we need our own coin. Yeah, we need to do our own NFT coin. Doge meets Texas oil and gas. We'll, we'll, it'll be ESG friendly. It'll be made with wind-powered solar 
something. So yeah, we'll get that done. No, no, no. I think you're that Sergio. I tell you what, we'll do. Yo, we'll do a Mount Rushmore coin. Remember, we're doing Mount Rushmore. <laughs> yeah. years back? We'll do a Mount Rushmore coin. We'll have Josh, right. myself. We'll put you on there, and then we'll figure out someone else. I don't know who that'll be, but uh, someone else. Not not Ben, obviously. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, that sounds good, man. Can't wait to break the news. All right, Sergio. Thank you so much. Always love your work, what you do, and uh, we'll get you on again soon. And best of luck, sir. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Sergio. All right, that is the man himself, Sergio Chapa. Ben, any takeaways from what Sergio said? Uh, no, it seems like he's on it. You know, um, like you and I talked briefly before he came on. You know, I think that there are you know some some severe supply constraints. I thought it was interesting. You know, the way that he sort of couched some of those issues. Um, it, it's it almost sounded inadvertent. You know, and, and I would tell you that the you know the decisions that you know Germany et al have made in the last few years have been incredibly explicitly intentional. Um, and so I think there's, I think there's an element of, yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, they put their, themselves in this situation, wouldn't necessarily say on purpose, but I mean, the writing has been on the wall for this for a long time and to see them dig out. Um, one of the questions I didn't ask him, cause I, I don't think there's an appropriate uh, response to this question necessarily, <laughs> but, but I think hold, hold on. Hold on. before we go any further, this is recap what you said for those who are driving working not paying attention ben just said one of the questions i did not ask him because there's not an appropriate response okay so with that preface Uh, go ahead uh, yes you know i I wouldn't want to put sergio on the on the spot of trying to answer this but but (laughs) oh god Um, thank you for this this has been no (laughs) um I think you and I spoke about it last year sometime on maybe don't let the facts, but you know, I, I find it fascinating that, you know, listen, I think that we as a as citizens of the world, we we, we don't get a, a pure perspective on, you know, we have no idea what the negotiation is like between whoever's negotiating the volumes on on the domestic American side and who's landing the volumes in Europe, right? We we don't have we're not privy to the, the dynamics of those conversations. One of the things that Sergio said that was really interesting is about that headed to Asia and then went back to the Panama Canal and over to Europe. Uh, I find it interesting, you know, you know, there's, let me say it this way. I think there's a strong argument to be made that America shouldn't be coming to the rescue of Europe in, in the way that they are. I think that, you know, Europe is getting a really good deal in the sense that, you know, they have put themselves in a bad position that, that you know has dire consequences for their citizens and i think they've been to a degree i think they've been bailed out and and, and they've been oh like you know yeah you, you messed up but like we got you um rather than and this is very dystopian but rather than you know yeah we, you know we're happy to send the volumes to you but that's going to cost you 12x you know or you know, that's going to cost you 26x and, and, and i think there's i think there's an argument to be made for listen you put yourselves in a situation you know, there, there shouldn't be this compul- uh, compulsion for America or, or uh, like Sergio said, Asia has been sending a ton of volumes there too. I, you know, I, I don't understand the dynamic of, oh, well, we'll just say, sell you stuff at market or a little bit above market. Um, I don't know. And like I said, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, uh, and there's not even really a question there. So I didn't, like, that's why I didn't bring it up. On Twitter, <laughs> Twitter, Twitter, on here. Today's flamethrower section is brought to you by Source Rock Midstream. <laughs> it's been saying, let's just flamethrower torches everybody. <laughs> Notice, notice, folks, that he didn't say I was wrong. 
He just he came, he came he came at the character assassination, but he didn't say I was wrong. I didn't say I didn't say you were right or wrong. I didn't say anything. No, no character assassination. I just factually pointed out that you just took a flamethrower to everything. But okay, whatever. <laughs> um, you just literally torched him. Well, I, I will say I do think the whole U.S. trying to block the Nord Stream two is in the discussion here as well. Um, and so you do have. Um, some, some of that to add to the discussion, but that's for another day. Listen, folks in the U.S., and this is the only thing I'd caution, is if you want to get rigs back running and selling the Europeans natural gas is what they want and we could do it, then you know why, why not do it? So, um, you know, if not, then some of the country just buy it from us and market itself to the Europeans, so whatever. Um, okay, Ben, I don't know if you're on mute or not. I can't hear you. Where will you be... This week, or where people follow, connect with you at um, for more of your hot, flaming hot takes. Yeah, if if you want the goods, uh, you know, if you want to hear uh, what what's going on up here, uh, follow me on Twitter <laughs> at underscore Ben Samuels. Uh, you, you know, Ryan, you and I have spoken a little bit off air about uh, you know the you know, sort of where to spend uh, you know time and attention in social media. I think that you and I, uh, you know, together have have made a decision, or it seems like we're we're sort of on the same path of. Uh, you know, moving off of LinkedIn for, uh, you know, to a degree and, and moving on to Twitter. Um, and for those that have not spent the time to really become active on Twitter or may not even have an account, uh, you know, shameless plug, because I'm certainly not sponsored by Twitter, but, you know, the, the, the Twitter ecosystem is utterly fantastic. I mean, you know, there's a, a wealth of knowledge. And I think that there's, um, I think that there's a lot of conversation going on there that you'd miss if you were just on LinkedIn or, or, or don't have a presence there. And so I don't know about you, but I've really enjoyed the last few weeks of, of, of leaning much more into Twitter and, and uh, you know, didn't really know what to expect, but have, have learned a ton. Uh, and, and I'm also, uh, you know, shouldn't, it should not be missed that I'm absolutely, uh, I'm looking forward to absolutely destroying you in the bet that we've got going on. Um, I'm a wow. little bit behind because you had you had to get like a massive head start. You know, if like you start a race and you're supposed to like go around the track like four times, and somebody starts like halfway down the track on like lap one, that's a little bit of what what it was like. But I, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna get there at the end there. Okay, hmm, interesting. I will say um, LinkedIn <laughs> as a platform just is, is is garbage, but that's neither here nor there. Uh, Twitter is best at Ranry Senior R Y A N R A Y S R is where you can find me. Um, yes, we are on there more active and this, just a word of encouragement. I used to be on the political Twitter. There's multiple Twitters and that's what you got to learn. There is, if you're a religious person, there's religion. If there's sports, there's sports. You can make Twitter whatever you want it to be. And the better you become at that, the more valuable it would be. So if you don't, you, you want to waste a bunch of time looking at, you know, stupid memes, you can do that too. That's wrong with that. It's just whatever. So whereas LinkedIn, it's a lot harder to, um, control the feed it feels like whereas with twitter you can add people unfollow them and and final thing i'll say is is the dms on twitter you get the spam ones obviously from like the bot accounts but the actual dms you get are actually quality dms compared to linkedin which is just you know just garbage most times so anyways okay um that being said ben thanks for sitting in for joshua and we'll be back next week